Welcome to Tax Wrap, the podcast of Tax and Super Australia. Each fortnight, we present news and insights to tax and SMSF practitioners. If you've got any questions, comments or even suggestions, get in touch at podcast at taxandsuperaustralia.com.au. Welcome to the Tax Wrap Podcast, episode 195. I'm your host, Steve Burnham, um, and I had a chat with uh, Michael McCarthy, who was uh, at the time the uh, the head of tax technical here at Tax and Super Australia, and because um, we, we provide helpline calls to members as part of the um, benefits that members get, and some very interesting topics uh, are covered by these helpline calls, some quite curly uh, questions coming in. And Michael ran over a few of them, and what we'll we, be talking about is um, the small business concession turnover tests, and there was also a case dealing with um, uh, the resident CGT six-year absence rule. Also, now this is very interesting, uh, the third topic, written down value deduction on capital works on rental properties. That was um, apparently an unutilised deduction opportunity that uh, some of your clients might like to hear about. Also, we looked at uh, Michael looked at um, forgiven debt and carry forward losses on investment property. And the last topic, which is a very a little bit long but very interesting, it was a, which company rate of tax to apply on a trust distribution. Now, it all has to do with the um, <clears throat> the nature of that income. So uh, here we go. Hello, Michael. Now, um, the helpline calls never stop. <laughs> they uh, keep coming in with the questions, which is good. But uh, tell me, you had one about the small business concessions, I believe. We did, Steve. Yeah, this one was a member was just inquiring, not, not even specific, specifically about the concessions. All oh, right. But uh, they just there's so many thresholds out there that they just wanted to confirm what uh, turnover thresholds are applicable right. to some of the tax concessions about mainly the small business tax concessions. Okay, yep. What are the, there are different thresholds, you say? Yeah, different thresholds. So, and the thresholds that uh, it, it all depends on what they call aggregated turnover. Right. So, there's an aggregated turnover test, as well as for the small business concessions. Obviously, you've got to be carrying on a business. Yep. And the aggregated turnover tests, um, it includes the entity you're talking about, their connected entities and affiliates. Oh, yeah. And um, uh, from that, you've got an aggregated turnover, and the tests depend on what concessions you're talking about because i know there's a two million threshold and then there's a, another 10 million but where do they apply yep. or you so you go through the the lists there yeah right. so yeah. but you're spot on there's a there's a uh, the two mil the 10 mil there's a five mil that maybe is sometimes overlooked oh. um and 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 then even in addition to the small business concessions i suppose you've got the company tax rate now with the base rate entities oh. with a, 50 million. Yep. So, so just to refresh yeah. my mind and, and perhaps listeners' minds, what what are the thresholds of Yeah, so, so what they are, and look, I brought in with me a, 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 an ATO, it's like a fact sheet, but it's got a, a reference, uh, QC53212. Okay. And I mention that because it's quite detailed on all the different concessions. So if you go right. through it, I think I counted about 24 or so different concessions. Wow. So it's probably just a handy checklist. Um, can, I, can I have that that reference number again? Yeah, and it's QC five three two one two. Right, and it just lists look a lot of them are the you know standard ones, simplified depreciation rules, deductions for professional expenses for startups. You know, as a concession, um, the small business income tax offset. Yep. Flicking through some of these simplified trading stock rules, 
two-year amendment periods and etc. And, and of course, the, one of the main ones is the um, capital gains tax concessions for yep. small business. So if you look at the, and then it's got a, a columns over the side, and it's got the different turnover tests. So there's a 10 million turnover test is the more common one, and that covers things like your simplified depreciation, your simplified trading stock, two-year amendment periods for small business, yep. and a lot of others, but that, that, that's the main one, the 10 mil. Mm, okay. um, but sometimes it can be confused by, they're all 10 mil, but they're, they're not. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Uh, and they're not, because one of them in there is like the small business income tax offset. Oh, I see. And, and that might be like sole traders or business income coming to an individual from a partnership in business or a trust in business. Yep, yeah, I see. Um, so there's an offset there, a $1,000 maximum offset. But the turnover test for that one's 5 mil. So Okay. Um, and then you've got, that you mentioned earlier on, the CGT concessions for small business. That's the four ones? Uh, that's the four, okay. yep, yep. And they're 2 mil. Okay, so right. it's a, just a different, yeah, different turnover test. So you could probably just to watch that it's not the CGT concessions aren't uh, applied with ten mil in mind. So no, no, I see. two mil. Right. Um, so yes, that was just a member. Just I think just wanted to clarify. Yeah. Um, those thresholds and you know as I said earlier on, there's you know different thresholds for the uh, tax practice tax practitioners to uh, to keep in mind but they didn't the federal bar i was speaking to john jeffries our new tax council yeah um he, about the federal federal budget wasn't there some introduction didn't they introduce something a new threshold uh, uh, with that and there's another one for that oh yeah so that's uh they've kept that like lined up with the um uh base rate entity threshold as well the 50 mil so oh, turnover that's test. Right. so that was it yeah so all of a sudden you've got what previously was small business with the 10 mil gets the instant asset right off oh yeah yeah and now they've allowed up to 50 mil for the just just for the 30,000 30,000 yeah right that's off right. from the budget yep the proposed budget yes okay but it might yes. be another threshold and level that your practitioners have to get used to it is it is so <laughs> that's another one so just you know we've mentioned 10 mil 5 mil 2 mil and the 50 mil so <laughs> yeah so um we did we did do a budget pre-budget submission and right. one of the things we um we would have liked in the budget was something that made it a bit simpler to say look why don't we have all these as a a set that's yeah, true. Have, have them all the one that uh, would be good value um That'd be probably simpler, but anyway, that's not the case. Well, right. one good thing, I suppose, with some of the turnovers, they seem to be nudging it up to, as I fifty mil for the uh, company tax base rate entities and the instant asset write-off. So yes, they seem true. to be nudging it up, which is good for business. Yes, yeah, it is. That's yeah. right. Exactly. Okay, Michael. So there's been other helpline calls come in. What what have they been about? Yeah, look, uh, we probably get. Um, Regular calls on like the main residence exemption, Capital yep. Gains main residence exemption, and uh, particularly the six year absence rule. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that's something that, yeah, we have uh, yeah, numerous queries on that. Right. So you had one in particular? Uh, well, look, we had one that I'll, I was just going to maybe throw a few things on top of that. But right. one of them that does come in is um, uh, yeah, occupying. Uh, well, there's a rule on initially occupying the dwelling, right. and I just wanted to run through some of the the rules on that to give it a bit of a background. Sure. And then, um, and I'm I'm going to go from our book here, there, our 1819 tax summary. Yep. 
and, and it just goes to say that if main residence is acquired after 9th September 85, uh, there's rules that determine whether there's um, it's going to be subject to capital gains tax or not. And the absence rule says that a taxpayer who initially occupies a dwelling as a main residence and then ceases to occupy it, uh, they can choose to continue to have the dwelling treated as their main residence. Yep. So, but there's some, um, uh, and with that, there's the six-year rule. And one of the queries, you know, because there's been a couple of different ones, was with the members is, uh, um, that's one six-year rule, but right. can you keep, can you, let's say, go overseas, come back, go and overseas, have another come back? Years. Yeah, and how often can oh, you do that? Yeah, yeah. And, um, and as it says here, well, it's not limited to just one period of six years. Yep. It can be numerous periods of oh, six years. Okay. So that was just something that came up um, there. Yep. Uh, look, another thing that just came up was that um, if you do go away but you don't use it to produce income, rent the property out or anything, then the um, oh, yeah, yeah. then the period's indefinite. Okay, right. Indefinite. If it's just sitting there. Yeah. Okay. Now, one of the queries that has come up has been, uh, and what's an example? It might be because somebody's got a rental property or something and they're, uh, they're moving overseas. And, right. Uh, and, and, well, I suppose the question might be, can that be a main residence or... And, and the can maintain a status as a main residence. Main residence, yeah. yeah, yeah for yeah. that, you know, six years you're you're gone. Or, right. But the, the so the important word I probably wanted to um, emphasise is a taxpayer who initially occupies a dwelling. So you have got to live in it first for for a certain time, or it doesn't matter. A good question. Oh. So that, <laughs> that comes up actually a bit like, well, can I move in for a, a day? And, oh, yeah. Or you know, so. Um, yeah, and that and that's looking. I suppose with our helpline, we give guidance on. Um, sometimes we can't say a specific or yes or no, and yep. sometimes the legislation doesn't actually say that. Sometimes right. legislation has a clear cut, yep, bright yep. line. That's what this is. What it is. You know, yes. seven days, one day, whatever. Yep. But uh, the section I'm talking about, one one eight one forty five, it just talks about initially. So, just getting onto that, um, there are factors that that determine. If you are residing in the okay. in the property, right, um, and so that's a, a thing you've got to look at. Some some of the factors, and there's there's been cases on these as well because sometimes uh, people argue they've lived in it, but then when they look at there's one case here, and they looked at the use of electricity, and there was oh, <laughs> absence of furniture, and and they actually came to the point that they said, look, on the factors were given. Uh, we're not satisfied you've you've ever resided in the ah, the dwelling. Yeah. Um, there was another one, uh, another case. There was an intention to construct a dwelling to live in. Yep. Um, but situations obviously changed, and they've not lived in it. Right, but there was right. intention was to live in it. Yep. But uh, even in that case, it was found that um, yes, you had the intention, but you actually didn't didn't do it. Didn't do it. Yeah, yeah. And they said in that case you're not entitled to the exemption either. Right. So there are there are factors. Um, I know the ATO have got like the guide to capital gains tax that lists the factors. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, I'll go, I'll go through a few of them, but it's 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 nearly like it's uh, it's well, it's a, a question of fact, I suppose, in a way. Like, right. yeah. and they talk about the length of time the taxpayers lived in the dwelling. Yep. Um, so, as you mentioned, is one you know, is one day enough, or the length of time? Is it or isn't it? Well, it depends on the circumstances. Oh, so they don't so, even spell out that out. No, no, ah. it's all fact. I think it's a bit like um, 
there's a lot of things in tax, like residency. I'm trying to think of another one. Uh, oh, are you in business? You know, there's lots of yep. there's lots of tax rules that are really like we'll look at these factors. Right. And and I suppose you only do that if you're arguing the case. If you're arguing the okay. case, yeah. yeah. But th- this one's got things like uh, you know place of residence of your of your family, uh, where your belongings are, yeah. where you get your mail delivered, <laughs> uh, electoral roll, all these different things. All very so, sensible things. And, and they're all just yeah common yeah. sense things. So you know the connection of uh, utilities. Um, um, I- interesting enough, one of the factors down the bottom here is the taxpayer's intention. So the intention is a factor. Right. But yeah. then in that uh, was a double uh, AT case. So there was an intention, but that's only one of well, how many factors Several. here? One, two, three, four, you know, seven or eight factors there. Yeah, yeah. So it didn't cut the mustard for that. Right. So, okay. so yeah, it's a bit arguable. But the um, that's one thing that um, yeah that you've got to be aware of, I suppose, is. You've got to initially have resided in it. Yep. Um, and I just wanted to add one other point with that is uh, if you're in that situation where you are residing in a dwelling and then you um, that ceases and then it's used for income producing purposes, yep. Yep. Uh, there, there is a, a rule, special rule section 118192 of this 97 Act, and it talks about when main residents become income producing after 20th of August 96. Right. And what it basically says is if the full main residence was available to the date the property became income producing, so you'd lived in it, but then only a partial exemption because you've went overseas and you've went overseas for, say, eight years, which exceeds the The six years. years. So all of a sudden the property um, may be subject to partially capital gain tax. Um, There's a a rule that treats the um, cost base of the dwelling at the market value at the date it first becomes income producing. Ah, okay. So that's just a little thing there that if, I suppose, if uh, you move out of a property that's been your main residence, not a bad idea to get a market value. Oh, on that, at, at, at that, that time? date, yeah. Okay. And because you never know in the future what's going to happen. It might be yeah. your main residence to you sell it, but it might not. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So could be money well spent, get a valuation, just yeah. who knows. Uh, and even money, you know, valuations then don't necessarily have to be a... I suppose the onus is on the taxpayer to prove the valuation. Wow. Uh, so it might be even not not required, like not a sworn value or anything. It might be... Oh, OK. The onus is on you to to prove it. To, to, to have a figure to... Support it. Yeah, to yes. state. OK. Yes. So hmm. that was just sort of a, yeah, a bit of an overview, but it's uh, it does yeah come up uh, Quite fairly often. regularly. The main, okay. yeah, um, yeah. main residence and capital gains tax. Well, that's the thing. There's a fair bit of money involved. Really, it's a bit of a can add up to quite a bit CGT, can't it? Uh, especially uh, with properties. Definitely so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. then the record keeping and everything of um, going back. Mm. And so one thing about that market value rule is that so really any costs up to the date it first becomes income producing mm. are not required because you're getting a market value oh, of course. at that date. Yeah, so, that's true. Yeah. That's right. Something I would have thought of. Okay. So, yeah, so that was um, yeah, probably just some queries we've had on the um, main residence yeah, rules. Yeah. Okay. All right, but there's, uh, the phone doesn't stop ringing. But <laughs> what else has uh, come through? Uh, yeah, look, we did have a, an interesting one, this one. This oh, right. was... This was uh, a member rang and the it'll be a rental property and the member was claiming the 2.5% ca- 
capital works deduction yep. on uh, some initial repairs, and the initial repairs oh, yeah, were yeah. painting. So, so um, there might have been construction costs or whatever when they f- they might have done quite a lot of work when they first uh, purchased per- the property. Yep. Yep. But um, but obviously it wasn't to do with their own tenants or assessable income. It was it was all required at the to date fix of purchase was, to fix yeah, something okay, evident yeah. when it was bought yep. so um so that was okay so uh, and look i'll throw some figures in here yep. just to, these weren't the uh, figures but just to give it a bit of context yeah so uh, let's just say in this case there was ten thousand dollars of initial repairs mm-hmm. and that initial repairs was painting <laughs> specifically yep now the two and a half percent means that gets written off over say 40 years okay yeah now, after 10 years, you know, that's $250 a year. So after 10 years, you've written off a quarter. Yeah. So the 10000 drops down to you've probably claimed two and a half, and there's a written down value of 7500 Yep. Then at that point, it might be 10 years later, and you might think, oh, this house needs a good going over. Due else. To, yeah. yeah, due to the tenants of the last 10 years. Yep. And you might spend another $10,000 on painting the property. Okay, yep. So that 10000 of painting is like a... Repairs, maintenance—it's part of your, of course. So it's not tenants. initial uh, works; it's ongoing, w- ongoing works. On, okay. Ongoing, and there's been enough time—ten years or so—to say that's okay. the result of your, um, your, your tenants. But yep. then the question then become: okay, well, that's that's that can be tax deductible. What about then the written down value of the initial repair? Yeah, it's seven and a half. What is it? There's seven and a half thousand yeah, in this yeah. example. So I thought, well, that's a good question, and. Um, we, that brought us to a section of the Act, the 97 Act, section 4340. Yep. And 4340, I'll just go through, it says, deduction for destruction of capital works. So, oh, yeah. um, and it says you can deduct amount if all or part of the area is destroyed right. in an income year. And then there's conditions, you know, there's an undeducted construction expenditure amount. For, and yes, there was. Um, you're using the area in a way that um, was applicable, income producing. Yes, it was. Um, immediately before the destruction, if you weren't, neither you nor any other entity used your area for any purpose since it was last used by you in that way. So there's just a condition there. Um, And then it's allowed, the deduction is allowed if if you're eligible in the year the destruction occurs. Um, And if there's any, uh, I suppose, any proceeds, sometimes insurance proceeds, if there's other cases, that's got to be taken into account. But in this case, what was interesting is, I suppose, you have situations where you say demolish a kitchen. So let's say that was twenty thousand dollar kitchen with yep. uh, fifteen thousand. Demolishing something, I suppose, means you you rip it out, you take it to the tip, and it's yep. destroyed. Yep, it's gone. Yep. Yeah. So, so, and I suppose that's probably why the member rang in, and in a way, I suppose he's probably looked at the section and says, you know, so is the paint job destroyed? Is is the paint job somebody uh, we've painted over it? Yep. Has that destroyed the initial uh, the initial paintwork? Okay. Yeah. Now, sometimes we get to the point where we would love to find something or a private ruling or something that says, yes, somebody else has asked that same question and yeah. here's the uh, tax officers. It's kind of covered it in previous cases. Guidance. Sure. Yeah, yeah, and, and it, we very good when we do that. We must admit in this case we didn't. Okay. Um, so it becomes a situation of, uh, really, I suppose, with getting a reasonable, arguable position on, yeah, um, on that situation. And, 
you know, so you know, if you ask somebody, well, did they destroy the paint? You know, I've, I've put it to people, and some say, well, no, it's still there, it's sitting behind the. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, and somebody else said, well, of course, it's destroyed. It's it's been painted over. It's painted or over. It, it, or it deteriorated to such an extent that it needed replacing. It, it, therefore, it's destroyed. It's so. destroyed. Yeah. So you know, your reasonably able position would say it's uh, destroyed. Right. As I say with with all things with tax, we probably you can't say yes or no because the tax office can always have another opinion. <laughs> um, and sometimes that's where they say. Pride. So replacing. So the asset sets paint. If, if that is destroyed, is that deductible then, or can you written well, off? Well, yes. Yeah, so if it's destroyed, then the argument is the written down value of the initial repair that's not claimed yep. hasn't been claimed is deductible. Oh. So in that year, it might be that you know using those figures, it might be a seven and a half thousand dollar. I get it. Tax so claim for the written down value. Yep, yep. And another ten for the re- ongoing repair. Ongoing repairs. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So the, they were happy with that result. Uh, that- no. Look, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> You'd like to get a yes, no, oh, right. um, but that was just an interesting one. Okay, that, um, it's a certain case. Uh, the member will go back to their client and oh, and they'll make their professional judgment. They'll make their judgment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so, yeah. Um, but that was just a, an interesting one because normally you'd, I think, when you just look at the the wording of the tax act, you know, it yep. just sort of mentions the word destroyed yeah, <laughs> so, and then you've got to think well, what does that mean well, yeah, what's exactly. it mean i must admit we get on and searched and thought huh, and it all came up with destroying artwork oh, oh well. and uh which is not this case no, but no. destroying artwork means you know it could mean your toddler's got crayons that they've scribbled all over the mona lisa <laughs> and i think they've destroyed it <laughs> so oh, that's, dear. A, that's a bit of an uh, <laughs> long bow but that's um yeah that was uh that query but that could come up quite a lot you know with uh, an owner has initial repair, 10 years down the track, actually paints over, some, well, does yeah. up their property for, yeah. you know, because wear and tear. But that's a, that's where that applies, and that's quite a common scenario, I'd imagine. Um, and it does, and I think we, um, I know I know, I get sent things from um, quantity surveyors, just their, their newsletters and that yep. sort of thing, and they, and they do say that it's probably a really overlooked deduction for unused capital works the written down values oh, yeah, yeah. when places are renovated i see or, you know so yep um so when you've got a rental property that you've been claiming things two and a half percent working them down capital yeah, works yeah. working yep. them down um but you own that property for a period of time um yeah properties undergo the kitchen gets replaced yeah, and, yeah, and so if you have been claiming it um yep. yeah they, they sort of do right and say it is a uh it is one they see overlooked quite a lot. Right, okay, well, it's a good yeah. one to keep in mind. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, when you, when you replace it, whatever the asset is, the already written down value can become what, a deduction. Uh, yeah, subject to the conditions in section 4340. Okay, so have okay. a look at that. You need yeah, to refer but, to that. Yeah, um, uh, but the, um, I suppose the point being depreciable assets for some reason, I suppose we, well, when we do, we probably detail those. Yeah. Like depre- there's a, there's a uh, hot water service, it's depreciable, it's in the depreciation schedule. That's right. You see it, somebody mm. buys a new one, so you put the new one in and yep. scrap the old one. Um, but with building allowance, sometimes you know, the quantity surveyors might do their listing yep. of you know the uh, the kitchen cupboards, the the bathroom. Yeah, yeah, all the bits uh, that we Fitting, all this sort of thing. And, yep. uh, but at the end of the day, maybe in the tax return, it might be sort of... 100,000 times 2.5%. So, yeah, so having the records originally would probably help as well if the quantity surveyor is um, allocated to the specific works that you're claiming on. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right. Well, that, that is an interesting one. At first, it didn't seem to be, but actually, it is. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. That's with a lot, a lot to do with a lot of tax cases, isn't it? Yeah, it probably expands to you know the the, the whole capital works yeah, deduction def- and write off. Exactly. But, think, yeah. think about how other assets would fit into that scenario. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So, what else do we have on our uh, work list? Uh, look, we did have another one that mm-hmm. a member rang in, and that was one that was to do with a rental property. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, I'll put some figures in just to give it a bit of context. So mm-hmm. the property cost $600,000, yep. and there was a bank loan of $600,000. Yep. Now, they entered into an arrangement with the bank. There must have been hard times, and property maybe um, value had gone down, oh, right. but, or we're not too sure what the situation was, but the property was sold for 500000 right. So it cost six hundred, sold for 500000 yep. There's a capital loss of, on face value of $100,000. Right. Yep. Um, and the bank, there was an arrangement in place where the proceeds were going to pay the loan off, and that's end of story. Okay. So I suppose you look at capital loss of 100000 on one side, and the um, person in question had a loan forgiven of... 100,000 on the other side. Now, in that, and then the question, I suppose, what's the tax implications in that situation? So they had a separate loan, you mean, sorry? A, a loan for the property. Oh, from the um, bank, that one? Yeah, sorry, yeah, sorry. but the, the, the loan, say, 600,000, property cost 600,000. Yep. Once the property was sold and the bank took over, um, there's a hundred sold the property, there was a $100,000 shortfall. Yep. And I think the arrangement was it was just wiped. Wow, really? Okay. Well, that's good. In that situation, which is good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it was good. But I suppose, it, it, like all things, is what are the tax implications right. of okay. this? So, what so, are so uh, and what it was in that situation was that um, first, as far as our guidance went, we went to look to say, is this a commercial debt, like with the with the bank? Oh, of course, yeah. And when we looked at that, we um, we went to Section 245.10 of the Tax Act, and under 245.10, it's basically a commercial debt's defined as a debt in respect of which interest, if it was paid or payable in respect of the debt, would be deductible under Section 8.1, even if disallowed under another section. So one of the right. important things is n- n- not even if interest was charged, in this case it was, but if it was, would it be tax deductible? So this was a rental property, which is obviously the interest is... Uh, tax deductible yeah, yeah, yeah. on that. So um, then when it uh, is deductible, as we'll say, well, like that is a, a commercial debt that's been forgiven by the bank, and then we look at the commercial debt forgiveness rules, and we might have covered this in a podcast earlier. Yeah, on, we've, we've the, talked about the, it. The, yeah. the, the, uh, the fact that the... The debt, it's the amount forgiven, it's not assessable in its own right, but then that will offset different classes of like losses or cost bases of assets. Or there's like a say the amount, so let's say the amount I'm talking about here is $100,000 of debt forgiven. Yeah, in its own right, that's not assessable, but then we've got to look at does the taxpayer have any prior revenue losses? Is the taxpayer an individual? So I should, uh, in this case, I'll we'll take it the taxpayer's an individual. Yep, yep. there's cap- capital losses carried forward. Are there any of those? Mm-hmm. And if there are, we'll offset it. Are there undeducted balances of um, tax written down values of uh, capital allowances, like what we've mentioned before with the yep. painting, yep. building allowances, that sort of thing, they'll get reduced. And if there's none of those, then the cost base of certain assets get reduced. So the, the, the amount forgiven doesn't get assessed in its own right, but it affects 
carry forward uh, other, losses and other yeah. assets, and you go through that those four categories in that order and um, right. work your way down. And then if you don't use up the amount in full, then any excess is just disregarded. Oh, okay, just gets just gets it's lost. Just just gets yeah. So okay. it's um, not 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 accessible. Mm. With so in our case, if we looked at it, and we don't always know the full facts behind it all. That was just a general. No, um, but if we said there was no revenue losses, uh, the thing with capital loss, we've said there was a capital loss of a hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars, but the capital losses is the um, it reduces the carry forward capital losses, so it won't reduce that loss right. at that point of time. Um, but then if you work down, it's going to reduce the undeducted balance of any capital works right. or yep. other depreciable items. Or, But if there weren't any, then you get to the fourth category and that's it reduces the cost base of CGT assets. Yes. Yep. So when we get to that point, and there's a section there, 245, 175, and if I just flick over to that one, it talks about... Uh, reducing the cost base of the CGT asset at any time on or after the beginning of the forgiveness year. Okay. So even though the losses carry forward are only reduced, or, ca- or capital losses carry forward are only reduced um, in from earlier years, yep. the cost base of assets are reduced any time in that year. In the, that actual year. In that actual okay. year. Okay, yeah. So then if we put all that in perspective and say, well, okay, we've got to reduce the um, cost base of the property. Yep. That will increase or reduce the capital loss incurred. So the $100,000 will be reduced back to zero. Right, yep. And the debt forgiven is non-assessable. So at the end of the day, really they're, they're a contract. Like one against the, one against the other, yeah. <laughs> okay, sort of just working through the workings of the yeah. tax system to get yeah. to that, get to that, stage. to get to that point. So the capital loss that initially you'd think maybe will be carried forward right. or um, or used if there's taxpayer any other capital gains, yep. will actually um, yeah be reduced to nil in the example we've just had. Okay, so um, I see you've got another bit of paper there. That means to me there was another helpline call that uh, uh, was interesting the last week or two. Um, What's that one about? Yeah, and look, in this one, um, well, this has come up a couple of times as well, so it's just a, it's probably just a a simple query of um, the, it's to do with the company tax rates. So now we've got the two rates, the 27.5% and the 30%. Yep. So if your base rate entity, you're 27.5%. And the questions uh, came up recently, it's come up a few times. If a company receives a trust distribution, um, how does that go as far as determining what company tax rate you use, um, bearing in mind that like a base rate entity using the 27.5%, they can't have more than 80% of their assessable income as base, what they call base rate entity, Passive, passive income. income. That's right. And so that a trust distribution would be passive income, would it? Can be passive income, right? But uh, it also can be uh, business income. So it depends on. Oh, right, okay. That's it depends true. on what's happening in the trust. Yeah. Okay. So, um, and just on that base rate entity um, eligibility, you got the turnover that we test as well at oh. fifty mil for eighteen and nineteen year. Yep. But there is a, a tax office. It's a law. Companion ruling or 2018 D7, and that 
at paragraph 16, that's what says that if a company is assessed on a share of the net income from a trust, uh, or their individual interest in the net income of a partnership, so partnership and trust are treated the same right. way, mm -hmm. and it really talks about a flow-through effect. So it says if, if it will have base rate entity passive income, to the extent the amount included in its assessable income, then that retains its character as it flows through. Yep. So, okay. And that, that makes sense. So, it's, it's, so I suppose some members are probably thinking, on one regard, trust income by default is passive. Right, yep. But it really depends on what's happening within the trust. Right, okay. If it is business income, it flows through and retains its character. So the distribution re remains to be uh, deemed to be business income? B business income ah. for the company tax rate yep. uh, purposes of determining which rate you're going to... Um, you're going to use. So, I see. That's a, um, that's, a, that's a bit of a trick trap, isn't it? A bit of a you could trip trip over that easily. Yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. it's been a probably you know it's a simple, quick question, but it yeah, has been asked yeah. a, a number of times actually. Now, yeah. is that is that draft? Because I heard the letter D in that <laughs> name of that. Uh, and, and it is, it is, right. and it's only recent. And some of these things are, um, yeah, as issued as draft. I'm not aware if it's been. Finalised, right? But it's something to be aware of. It's something, but also just to give more comfort, though, it, there's a like when the law came out, there's um, an explanatory memorandum yep. that goes with the law, yep. and we had a look into that, and that also it actually gives an example of a chain of trusts. So it gave an example oh, of um, a trust distributes income to another trust <laughs> that distributes income. To a company. Okay, yep. And in the explanatory memorandum, if it was business income in the first trust, right. it retained its character right Down through the chain. to the company. So okay. there's an example. Um, yeah, you always like to... Can I just have that reference again to the uh, the ruling? Yeah, and that's LCR. LCR. 2018 D7. D7, okay. And paragraph 16 I was reading from. Right. And just while we're on it and touching on it, yep. it probably, um, it's example 1.2, because we've probably spoke about if it's 100% business income, yeah, it flows yeah, through, yeah. but sometimes you're not going to have that, you're going to have a, a mixture. Oh, of course, yeah. Business Naturally. and rental income, or so it yep. might be a mixture. And there, there was a, a good example, yeah, 1.2 of paragraph 24. Will I just work through it? Yes, to, yes, do that. Yeah, yes, because thanks. it's... It's, it talks about like a company, a trust, and an individual. Right. And they're beneficiaries of a trust. So right. So you've got three beneficiaries, three different beneficiaries, a company, a trust, and an individual. Right. And they're beneficiaries of the trust. And we'll throw some figures. It's got some figures here. There's $500,000 of business income. Yep. $300,000 of net unfranked dividend income. Yep. And $200,000 of net rental income okay yeah so that's a million dollars of income half of its business income right uh now in the example they say for trust law the trust d uh, made company one presently entitled to all the business income yep so they said we'll give the company all the business income yep and we'll give the trust beneficiary and the individual beneficiary the remainder of the the unfranked Being dividend and rental income. Share of market and rental in yeah. income, okay. Yeah, so the company's going to get, for trust law purposes, 100% of the business income. Right. Now, 
but that's trust law purposes. The example then goes on to say, but for tax law purposes, mm. the company's presently entitled to 500,000. Yep. It's entitled to half of the net income of the trust. Okay. Yeah, okay. The uh, whole net income. The whole net income ah. of the trust. Yep. And I suppose it's saying there because the a trust can specifically stream capital gains to beneficiaries right, right. and it can specifically distribute you know if the everything's done accordingly the yep. trust minute and yep. everything and the um, uh, frank dividends so they're two categories you can specifically Stream. make a beneficiary entitled to yep um, but these other categories aren't so even though for trust law they've said there's unfranked dividends and net rental income yeah for trust law yes we'll apply them specifically but for tax law um, and in the example here they're saying no the company's entitled to 50 percent of everything Every, the all the income yep yeah because yep. okay. the business income was five hundred thousand of the million yep. total so it's 50 mm percent. -hmm. so in that situation if you looked at then for the um for the company and for the working out whether it's a base rate entity or oh, not yeah, yeah. under yep. the 80 percent uh passive income rule mm -hmm. they're going to say it's got half of all the income so it's got half of the 500,000 being 250 of business income oh yeah I see for tax law that's right purposes and it's got half of the unfranked dividend of 150 oh, so it's got a mixture of mixture of incomes they yeah. can't just allocate the business income it's got to be half of each half of each in, of in this example so it's worth having a look at that example if you yeah. are to go uh, any further with that but it's yeah, so in that case, then it could be saying, okay, the intention for trust law is to distribute all the business income and get the twenty-seven and a half percent rate. Yeah, yeah. But when it comes to for, it, for tax law, yeah, that's not going to necessarily yeah. be the result. Although in this case, the example shows they still um, satisfy the eighty percent passive Standard, income yeah. test in that example. But yeah, that was right. just an interesting example it from is, uh, from that ruling. Okay, all right, all right. Um, that's it, Michael. That's for the. That's, that's enough. That's, and that's it. Yeah, <laughs> that's heaps. All right. Um, thanks for that, Michael. Um, um, while while I'm here, I just want to give a shout out to uh, Paul Siragusa, by the way. Paul listens to our, our podcast when, when he's at the gym. He tells me if he's still on the treadmill after this amount of time, good for him. And also hi to to his father Tony Siragusa. Um, and listeners, I just wanted to mention that Michael McCarthy's been with us for quite a while. You've heard him on the uh, podcast numerous times. Uh, Michael's stepping away from Tax and Super Australia. Um, Michael, you're going back to, to business, I hear. You get a, are you looking after your own clients? Yeah, I've got my own practice. I've always continued on uh, whilst at Tax and Super. Right. So it was yep. uh, sort of three days here and combining the two. But, um, yep. yeah, I've had some pretty patient clients that I think I need to pay a bit of attention <laughs> you to. You need to give them some attention. And, they uh, all need attention. Yeah, tax lodgement uh, dates are coming up coming quick up. smart. So, exactly. Yeah, it could so. be a complicated one with all the yeah. budget changes, but uh, we don't know. But thanks very much, Michael, and um, I'm sure that listeners have appreciated your insights and your your uh, intelligence along the way. Um, hopefully we'll get you back one day. Who knows? Thanks, Steve. All right. Thanks, listeners. Uh, please tune in again next time.